Am I on? Yes, how about that? Well, I'm not going to be projecting, so I'm going to shed some light on the case here. There we go. Good morning. That was really weak. Good morning. All right, thank you, thank you. Ah, it's wonderful to be here today. Uh, it's especially wonderful to have the privilege and opportunity of speaking today, and I hope that God is glorified and you are edified. Um, I will tell you that this is a sermon that I have preached often. Um, come from First uh, Peter chapter one and verse twelve, he says, uh, "So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have." I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has said. And so, uh, all a preacher ever really does is remind you in a different way. And so, even though I've preached this sermon many times before, uh, it's different every single time, because I'm different every single time. So, uh, anyway... Uh, we'll be looking at the book of Isaiah and the sixth chapter in just a few moments. Um, I do have one little thing to do. I was going to hand this to Wyatt a while ago. Uh, but we have a thank you from uh, the Thomases. It says, please extend our thanks to Gateway. We are home and resting, and Gracie is doing well. Just a little weak. Getting better every day, though. So uh, Gracie had a ruptured appendix, and we all know that that's uh, extremely dangerous. And God heard our prayers and brought her home safely. So we praise God for his hearing as he always does. Before we begin the lesson, let's bow for a word of prayer. Holy Father, we come before you again today. And we praise you for your patience with us because we do forget. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of your glory and your power and your great love for us and the sacrifice of your son to bring us home to you. We need to be reminded that you are working all things together for our good as well as for your glory. We need to be reminded that we are your children, loved by you, reminded that this world is passing and all the things in it are passing too, but that we have the assurance of eternal life with you. Help us, Father, to put our faith and hope and trust and confidence in you and you alone, and to give you the glory and praise that's due to your name. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have four points today. So rather than you trying to figure out what the four points are, I'm just going to tell you what they are. And so we start out with the first point is where our confidence should always be. And the second point is where God is. The third point is where God relies, and finally, what our response should be. In Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the scripture says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The prophet Isaiah began his ministry in the year that King Uzziah died. That may not mean a whole lot to us, but Uzziah had been king of Israel, or of Judah actually, for 52 years. We in America, we change presidents like every four years, maybe eight years at the most. We're limited in our terms. And, and so we change leaders on a regular basis, and we don't think much of it, really. I mean, we may be unhappy that we've got the one we got right now, and this thing seems to be fading in and out. Is it just me, or is it? All right, then I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to put it right back where it was. That's what happens when you get old. So, anyway. Uh, anyway, he has uh, gone to the temple now because he's very concerned that the leader of his people has died. He lives in a very troubled time. They've had wars with all the surrounding nations. And Josiah the king was a great king. He was a wonderful king. He was probably one of the best kings Israel had outside of David. Solomon was a good king, but he inherited all of the stuff that he got from his father David. David had already gone out and fought all of the battles, and, and he had already amassed the treasures that went to building the temple, and Solomon just kind of carried that on. And part of the proof that Solomon was not such a great king, even though we think of him as great, is those who followed him. When his son was supposed to take the throne, he divided the kingdom by his foolishness. And so Solomon, having been so busy taking care of the affairs of state, failed to take care of his children and train them in following after God. Uzziah, though, was a great king. He had come in after uh, some previous kings that were not so great. In fact, the one that was just before him, would uh, I would classify him as a mediocre king. He wasn't all that bad, but he wasn't all that good either. Amaziah. And Amaziah had gone to war and lost. And when the king of the north had come down, he had torn down 600 feet of the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. Uzziah came back and he rebuilt that. He also built an early warning system so that uh, they could be prepared when the other king would invade. Uh, he built the fortifications in Jerusalem for the protection of the people. And again, we live in a different time right now. We don't understand. But back then, there were raiding parties that would come through, and if you were unprepared, all of a sudden you were dead and all your stuff was gone. It's a very different time. When was the last time that America was actually a, attacked on its soil other than 9-11? Uh, 42 was Hawaii, it was just a protectorate. When was there war 
in New Mexico. Do you remember it? Civil War, yeah, yesterday. <laughs> Feels like. Yeah. Pancho Villa, back before my time. You see, we don't live in that time. And for the king to have died meant a transition in power, and it meant a time when the enemies of the kingdom would be taking advantage of the kingdom in that time of transition and the shakiness of the government. And so Uzziah is very, very concerned. And he goes to the temple and he pours out his heart to God and he says, what's going to happen to the nation now that Uzziah, the king, is gone? The king who was so loved by the people and feared by his enemies, who led with justice and mercy, who turned the hearts of the people back to their God. What's going to happen to the nation now that King Uzziah is dead? And God gives him a vision. God lets him see who's really on the throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. So who's really in charge? You may not like the president we have right now. Guess what? He's not in charge. He thinks he's in charge. And the one before him, he thought he was in charge too. And in a sense, he's in charge, but he's not really in charge. Because who sets up the kings and takes them down? Uh, so when we declared our independence from England, did God quit appointing and setting up rulers and taking them down? No. God's still on the throne. And he's still accomplishing his purposes. And if you put your hope and your trust in the leader of the United States of America, you put your hope and trust in the wrong place. Our hope and our trust always needs to be in God, not in people or in this world. We need to see the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. You may have a different struggle. You may be thinking, well, what's going to happen if the Supreme Court makes the ruling that uh, all of a sudden now, you know, they, uh, there's a ruling right now that is supposed to be going before the Supreme Court. A photographer in Albuquerque decided not to take pictures of uh, a homosexual marriage. And our New Mexico court said, oh, you have to. And the Supreme Court says, oh, no. You have to. So what is the Supreme Court going to say? Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what that Supreme Court says because there's another Supreme Court. What if they decide to ban prayer in school? Oh, they already did that, didn't they? Did God get off the throne? Who's still in charge? Man can make all the laws they want. Man can bring all the armies that they want. Who's still in charge? Regardless of how it's going, you need to see the vision every day of the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. Maybe your problem is what's going to happen when the company closes and I lose my job? What's going to happen when my health insurance runs out? What's going to happen when 
my husband leaves me or my wife leaves me or my husband or my wife dies or my... Who's still in charge? Same God that was in charge before that happened is still sitting on the throne. And he never looks down and say, oops. He knows. And we learn that our confidence has to be in God, not in man. Uzziah was a great king until he thought he had become great. And sadly, when he reached the pinnacle of his kingdom, he presumed to offer sacrifice of incense in the temple of God. And for that, he was smitten with leprosy. And he spent the rest of his life living apart from the people in the Lazar, a house for lepers, until he died. And Isaiah sees that to put your hope in King Uzziah, in Uzziah the man, in Uzziah the leper, in Uzziah the corpse, is to fail. But to put your hope and trust in the eternal God who never steps off of the throne is to always succeed. I'm human and so I'll disappoint you. Yeah, I'm an elder in the church here, but guess what? I'm going to disappoint you and I'm sorry. I apologize up front. I don't know what I'm going to do, but if I haven't already disappointed you, trust me, I will. But the day I do, don't forget who's still on the throne. God's still on the throne. And it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about you. There's something else that you need to see. You need to see the vision of the train of the Lord filling the entire temple and touching everything within it. Because we see then that the temple is entirely holy unto God. The Jews had this idea that there was this one little spot in the middle that was called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, it was so holy and God dwelt there that only once a year and once on that day could the priest go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to enter that place with blood of a sacrifice to purify himself and to offer for the sins of the people or he'd be struck dead. And outside of the Holy of Holies, where God lived in Jewish conception, was the holy place. The holy place wasn't as holy as the Holy of Holies, it was just holy. So only the priests could go into the holy place. And that's why Uzziah was struck with leprosy, because he went where he wasn't supposed to go. And he attempted to offer incense that he was not permitted to do. But only the high priest went to the Holy of Holies and only the priests could go to the holy place and then there was the court of the men and it was enough less holy than any male Jew could go there and then there's the court of the women and it was so unholy that even women could go there. <clears throat> and then outside of that is the court of the Gentiles and anybody could go there and it was in fact it was so rank and unclean that the daily business could be carried on in the court of the Gentiles. And so in the Jewish mind, you went from a, in a very small place, really, from the extremely holy where God lived out to the profane where business is taken care of. But in the vision, Isaiah sees that God fills all and touches all. And in reality, there is no place that is profane. And so 
Fortunately, all those people with that misconception died back then, and we don't have that idea today. And that's why we only call this the sanctuary. Because, oh, and you don't think that's right? How do you act in here compared to how you act in the hall? Or how you act in the fellowship hall? Or in the gym? Or out on the street? Do you speak differently when you're in this building in the sanctuary than you do when you're with your buddies on the job? Is that because God's here but he's not there? Do you speak differently when you're here and you, and you cuddle up to your wife and you're all smiles until you get back in the car? Oh, but that was on the way here this morning when you're getting dressed and there's toothpaste on the mirror and you're fussing and there's whiskers in the sink. And, but when we get here, The question is, where is God? And where is the temple of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are the temple of God? A dwelling place where God lives by His Spirit. That's emphatic. That's not just, do you not know that you are the temple of God? That is, you yourselves where does God live? Does God just dwell inside? Oh, by the way, he arrived this morning at 1030 when we started singing songs. He'll be leaving. Better catch him on the way out because by 11 o'clock, it's over. He's going to go back home. We're going to lock the doors. We'll have to wait for him to come back next week. Oh, wait, he may, he'll make a brief appearance on Wednesday night. Where does he live? If he doesn't live in your heart, he doesn't live anywhere, does he? For you yourselves are the temple of God, and the very Spirit of God dwells within you. And so, when you carry the temple of God into the world, what does the world see? Does the world see God living in and through you in your conversation? And do you feel the presence of God with you in that dark situation? When you face the struggles of life, is God dwelling in you? Where is the holy place that's been cleansed by the sacrifice of blood? Is it this room? Did we walk around with a little shaker and shake holy water on this building? Or did we come here with the sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon our souls? And have we not become the holy dwelling of God? So the first point, remember, the first point is, where is our confidence? Where do we rely? We rely on the God who never leaves the throne. Where does God live? He lives in us. We are his holy dwelling place, filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. But there's another question that we have to ask. And that question is, where does God rely? You think, 
What do you mean, where does God rely? God doesn't rely on anything. He has everything. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He speaks, and it comes into existence. He's the one who says, come, and we walk on water. What does he need? What does he rely on? He asks a question. Who will go, and who will he send? Because you see, the going into the world to speak the truth of the gospel is something that he wants us to do. Because as I live day by day and I touch the hearts and lives of the people that I come in contact with, I need to remember that I'm the dwelling place of God and I bring with me the Spirit of God that lives within me. And it's not just standing up here on a podium today when I open the Bible and speak to you. It's what I do tomorrow. It's what I do this afternoon. It's what I do when they lock those doors out there and I go home. And I love my wife and I love my children and I care for my friends. And I care for those who are being hurt and for those who are in prison, in jail. The ones who've been caught while the rest of us got loose. Because really, if you were to truly confess all your sins, where would you be today? If you knew everything about me, you'd be so embarrassed, you wouldn't know what to do. And I'd be totally undone. How about you? And yet, God has chosen to cleanse me through the blood of Jesus. And to fill me with his spirit so that I'm never outside the temple, for I am the temple, the very dwelling place of God. And as I go into the world, I should be taking God with me. I am, but I should live that way. So that the God who left heaven and came to earth, not to condemn, not to judge, but that the world might have life, would see God living through me. And God says, will you go? Will you go tell your brother, your neighbor, your wife, your son, your daughter, your employer, your employee? Will you spend for them and be spent for them? Will you agonize with their pain and sacrifice for their well-being? Will you be the presence of God wherever you go? Because God doesn't live in this building. He lives in this building. And so what should our answer be? Well, in reality, if you're a Christian, you already made that answer because you asked God to come live in you. You repented of sin and confessed your need. You were immersed with him and the old man of sin was done away and the new man of righteousness was raised by the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And you need to also consider that you answer the call. Here am I. Send me. He'll send you to Walmart. He'll send you to the detention center. 
He'll send you to the inn. And he'll send you to the Holiday Inn. And he'll send you to K. Bob's and he'll send you to the courthouse. And he'll send you everywhere in the world because everywhere you go, whether it's 210 White Mountain where I live and he sends me, or it's the Hondo Valley or wherever he has called you and sent you. And you carry within you the very Spirit of God. And so the call is still who will go and who will be sent. And I need to answer the call that he sent me into the dirt. In the class in the back, we talked this morning about uh, what we commit to. When moms decide to become moms, you commit to more than just the cooing and the sweet little hugs. You commit to the all night too, and the colic, and the spit up, and the vomit, and the, oh, and you get that other two. But we go into the world to reach those that God loves. And who does he love? The world. And we take the temple of God out of this place, which isn't the temple of God. We take the temple of God into the kingdom of God, the world. Who sits on the throne? God. God sits on the throne. Where does God live? In us. Hmm. And if he lives within us, then what does God need? He needs us, the temple of God, to take God into the world. And so, there's beauty to that. Can you imagine the God of all the universe who spoke the worlds into existence? And we think of him at Christmas time that he would be willing to confine himself to just a little baby in a manger. But do you think of him as confining himself to Greg? Confining himself to Carl? to limiting himself to Rex, or Renee, or John, or Bill, because he said, I'll dwell within you. We allow his strength to become your strength today and live for him today. Don't worry about who sits in the White House. Worry about who sits on the throne. And let the one who sits on the throne sit on your throne and live in you. I hope it encourages you. I hope you remember these four things this week. That you remember who's in charge and who we rely on. That you remember where he lives right here. That remember who he needs, and that's you and me. And our purpose in going is to take the joy of the gospel into the world. You have an opportunity today. You have it every day. But today especially, we're all gathered here. You have an opportunity to die to yourself, to be raised by the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, to be immersed into Christ and be born again into the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God dwelling within you.
to become the sanctuary of the eternal God and the privilege of carrying that message to the world. So if we can help you today, encourage you, pray for you, hold you up, that's what we want to do. Brian's got a song. Let's sing.